We are in week two of our series called Jonah, a tale of compassion, death, and resurrection. And Jonah is an absolute artistic masterpiece, and it is filled with irony. So you have Jonah, a prophet, who is running from God. Prophets are not supposed to run from God. Just having the name prophet means that you should be running towards God and towards the mission that he's called you to. But what we see is Jonah's running away from God and away from the mission he's called him to. And we saw last week that we aren't so different from Jonah. But we also saw that Christ, well, he's the kind of God that searches after runaways. He chases runaways down. And this week what we're going to see is that we have this runaway prophet Jonah. Do you guys hear that buzz? Can you work through it with me? Okay. So we have this runaway prophet Jonah. God chases him down to turn him around. Well, he's not turning. So God hurls a storm at him. And what we're going to find today is that it's a storm, but it's a merciful storm. And merciful storms are important. So we're going to ask, are you in a merciful storm? And could you be misinterpreting the storm that you are in? And then we're going to ask, are there storms that people in your life are in? And are you ignoring those storms that they are in? And then we're going to ask last, how is the storm calmed? So our main verses today are going to be verses 1 through 6. Our main verses are verses 4 through 6, but we're going to look all the way through 1 through 6 in the beginning of Jonah chapter 1. So you can take out your Bible, swipe open your phones. God's Word will be also be up on the screen for you to follow along. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. This is the Word of God. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled, he hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish." All right, first point is the runaway. Now, what I want to do here is I want to give you a a rundown of this runaway prophet that we see from verses 1 through 3. Jonah says, God says to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, this great city. And instead, Jonah goes in the exact opposite direction towards Joppa. Now, look, look at me, look at me. Jonah wants nothing to do with this mission at all. Jonah wants Nineveh to rot in hell because Nineveh are the enemies of Jonah and his people, the Israelites. God wants to give them compassion, and Jonah is passionate about the hatred that he has for them. So what I want to do now is I want to get you in the mind of Jonah. 
And I want to also get you into your own mind and how you are very similar to Jonah. In the age that we are in today, we need to hear this message about Jonah. So there's a, there's a philosopher today named Charles Taylor. He's won all kinds of prizes for his work. And he writes a book called A Secular Age. And in this book, he convincingly shows that we live in an age unlike any other age there has been. And what he shows is that never in history, like, there, like today, have people questioned if there is a God or not. Never before in history has doubt been as strong as it is to get today. And what he argues for is that this doubt is running like a plague through your veins. And even if you are a mature Christian, it's affecting you more than you realize. No other age had to deal with what you have to deal with now. So he continues to show this, and then he shows that there's a slogan of our age. There, it's gone. You did it. You don't even know what you did. <laughs> Whatever you did, it worked. Don't touch a button. Oh, it's back. Is it the other sound system? Okay. So because you guys want to stay cool, you will have to suffer through the buzz. All right, so come back to me. The slogan of a secular age. Here's the slogan. Don't you dare go public with your faith. Keep your faith private. It, it actually, it's become a moral principle by which our society lives. Now, what I want you to see is that that in and of itself is a religion with a mask on it. So there's, there's a mask that's whispering, and behind the mask is a religion, and that religion says... Keep your faith private. Don't tell us about it. It will disturb us. Now here, here becomes the problem. Christianity is the most public faith that there is. There is not one square inch that Christianity is not meant to be infused into every part of your life. But, it's a but, but this secular age has a religion with a mask on it which makes it very dangerous. Now I want you to realize that you are keeping your faith private. And you are succumbing to the moral pressures of today that our culture has put on you. And Jonah as well has become a product of his moral culture. Because the Ninevites are enemies with God's people. And Jonah, and with the people that he runs with as this prophet, I mean, he's a patriotic prophet. He is about Israel. And if he runs off to Nineveh, and tells them about God, and, and, and perhaps they change and turn to God, well, Jonah has just then saved the enemies. And his people will not be happy with him about this. So he, the moral culture of the day, says, Jonah, keep your faith private from those Ninevites. So what is happening is he's more committed to Israel's culture than the culture that God is building on the earth. He wants to keep his faith private so that enemies of Israel don't find God. But God wants him to go tell them. So the same is true, for, true, true with us. So Christianity, it's a public religion. Now, our culture says keep it to yourself. And the challenge for you now today is for you to figure out how do you go public with this faith that you now have in a way that's helpful to you and the world around you. 
So we're going to explore through that series how you do that. But right now, today, the challenge is, will you go public with your faith? And if you're honest, you really don't want to. And you don't think it's a big deal that you're not. However, last week, do you know what we saw? We saw that by you not going public with your faith, that it is creating not only a hellish existence for those that you are holding your faith from, but it's actually creating a hellish existence for you. And here's why. What we saw happen with Jonah. So, so Jonah, in the end of this book, he, he barely tries Jonah gives the worst sermon that there has ever been given in Nineveh. And they actually respond. But I don't think he goes all in. In fact, we know that he's pretty upset about what he has to do. Now, here's what I think would have happened. Had Jonah, his heart, really been all in about going public in Nineveh with his faith, there would have been an actual covenantal change that happened in Nineveh. And Do you know what happened years later? Nineveh, the Assyrians, Nineveh's part of Assyria, would actually invade Israel and drive them out from their homeland. Now, had Jonah's heart been all the way into what he was doing, he wouldn't have given some horrible sermon and left. He would have stayed. And he would have fought for the faith of those Ninevites. And then, years later, because they're in this covenantal, true relationship with God, they never would have gone and invaded Israel. So hell is not only brought upon Nineveh because he's refusing to go, but that hellish existence is then brought to Israel. He was trying to honor his culture, and he destroyed it by trying to honor it over the culture that God was trying to build. The same reality happens to us when we don't heed God's mission for us. Now, We see that running from God's call to go public with your faith, it won't only lead to your descent, because when you run from God, what we saw last week is it actually is a running into a descent. It won't only lead to your own descent and the descent of the world around you, but actually what you're going to be doing is running into a storm. So we see here that God hurls a storm upon Jonah. The word hurled in Hebrew has to do do with a weapon being thrown. So God is literally going to war with Jonah because he's running from the mission that God has called him to. And there's a lesson, and I want you to see this closely. Whenever God hurls a storm at you, it, is not, it, has, a, it has a reason behind it. And the reason is for your good because by him doing it, it's a merciful storm. This is our second point, the merciful storm of trials. It's turning you back to him. The storm is like a fast-forward button for God. It's like God is showing you, here's what you're running into. Open your eyes, Jonah. Look at what you're doing and turn back and come home. Now, I see this a lot with people. They're running into some hellish existence and they don't realize what they're doing. And maybe people are warning them, but they're still running. And then all of a sudden, it's like the lights turn on. They realize they were in the dark. They see what they were doing and they're like, what have I been doing? And immediately there's a change. But it usually takes a storm to get the lights on. So God hurls the storm and he goes to war. And he goes to war maybe with you like a loving parent would. Because when a loving parent goes to war with their child, they're going to war to bring their child back, to win them back with love. 
So let's talk about this sin and punishment. Tim Keller says in his book on Jonah, not every difficulty is a result of sin, but every sin will lead you into difficulty. So not every difficulty is a result of sin, but every sin will lead you into difficulty. Sometimes God will punish you. Proverbs 16.5, it says, The Lord detests all proud of heart. They will not go unpunished. But then sometimes sin itself will punish you. Proverbs 21.7, The violence of the wicked will drag them away, for they refuse to do what is right. So this like means like liars are lied to, attackers are attacked. If you live by the sword, eventually the, the sword will be plunged into your gut. Sin is a suicidal action upon self, and it is self-sabotage. And what you will begin to do in your sin is you'll start to justify it. Because at some point, somebody's going to do something wrong to you. Whether you do something wrong to them or not, they will do something wrong to you. And you will get mad, and you will get frustrated, and then you will want revenge a bit. And you might get it, or you might not, but either way, you're going to have these fantasies in your mind of how you can get even. And then what you're going to find is you're trusting people less and less. And that distrust of people will grow. And then you will start telling yourself a story about them of things they are doing behind your back and saying about you that aren't even being said. Because you have this in your mind. And then you're going to be getting plunged further and further into this self-sabotage until finally all of your relationships are broken because sin will eat you from the inside and break everything outside of you. So sometimes you have storms that God has thrown at you like a merciful storm. Sometimes you're running into storms that you have created. And sometimes there's a storm that you are in and you have done nothing wrong. So how do you know the difference? Well, it, it actually doesn't matter a lot because there's an equation and the equation goes like this. Difficulties plus turning to God equals transformation. Difficulties plus turning to God equals transformation. And every time God transforms you, he's transforming you for a mission he's calling you into. And so if you have done nothing wrong and you're finding yourself in difficulties, the temptation will be to shake your fist at God. Don't do that. Realize something. He's preparing you for something greater. If you find yourself in a storm, it could be because you're running from God. Well, that just simply means you need to turn back to him. Notice there's always a turning to God. And if you've created the storm, well, still, the answer is turn to God. He will transform you, and then he's going to send you out for a mission to do, wherever it is that he's called you. God loves you so much that he will do whatever it takes to turn you into the gold that you are. He will touch you with fire the same way when gold touches fire. It melts off all the impurities of the gold. Same way you, the fire is touching you. It's beginning to melt off the impurities that keep holding on to you. So the best way forward is to think to yourself, whenever you're in a storm, God's preparing me for something great. It doesn't mean that the storm isn't real. It doesn't mean that the storm isn't painful, and it doesn't mean that you have every right to stay at the bottom of that ship like we're going to see Jonah does. But still, even though you may think you have that right, 
You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And God has called you to something. So heed the calling. Because your temptation is going to believe is going to be to believe the same lie that Adam and Eve believed. And that lie is God is holding out on me. He does not have his best in mind for me. We got through the storm. You're going to be thinking this. He doesn't have his best in mind for me. And Adam and Eve made this huge mistake by thinking that. It's the, it's, it's the easiest trick to fall into. And if you fall into it, you're going to find yourself shaking your fist at God. And you're going to start to grow bitter towards God. And you're going to begin running from him. Everything he does, he does for your good. Every storm he throws, he throws for your good. He will do whatever it takes to get you back. He even threw his own son into a storm to bring you back. And if he will throw his own son into a storm to get you back, then you have to believe every storm that you go through will not be wasted. In every tear that you cry, it will water the earth and it will cause growth to spring up. Because that's the kind of God he is. And Jonah not only gets this physical storm, but he gets an emotional storm. Which is potentially worse. This is our third point, the merciful storm of depression. Let me set the scene for you. So Jonah boards the ship to get away from the mission and the presence of God. And they're sailing along this open ocean, and a storm is brewing in the distance. And it starts closing in on them, and then the storm strikes. And as the waves are hitting up against this boat, you can actually hear cracking in the boat. And water is beginning to pour over the deck of this boat, and they're, they're taking on water, and now all of the sailors are screaming out directions that need to be done in order to get this water off of the boat as the boat is beginning to break. And as this is happening, they're throwing their cargo overboard, and every piece of cargo that they throw overboard makes the trip a waste. But at this point, they don't care anymore because they're about to die. And when everything becomes hopeless, they look up through the storm and cry out through the storm to every single God they can think of. Meanwhile, down below, there is a prophet who is snoring. A lot of commentaries say that he's sleeping because he's at peace because he thinks he got away from God. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because Jonah is a prophet. He knows the way God works. He knows that you can't run from the presence of God. He might be trying to run from the covenantal intimate presence of God and maybe if he's doing that, well, he's making a mistake. But also, you know, Jonah is an Israelite and Israelites are not used to the ocean, not especially not going through storms. Jonah would be terrified. The reason Jonah is sleeping is because he has fallen into a deep depression because God has called his life to be something that Jonah does not want it to be. He doesn't want to live anymore. He's indifferent to God. 
he's indifferent to his own life, and he's indifferent to the life of the sailors. He's alive, but he prefers death. It's easy to slip into a depression when God is giving you the life that you don't want him to give you. You have dreams of a great job, a happy family, the comforts of a home, a bunch of healthy kids who are smart, successful, to have great friends who aren't difficult and burdensome, and you, your, your kids have friends like this. And, and, you know, you want the perfect church. And somehow you have found it, and you being imperfect have not ruined this perfect church. And you have hopes of having so much money, just enough money, for you to have all the things that you want to have and live comfortably, save for your retirement. There's enough left over for you to give to the church, to be generous to the people in your life, and to help the poor. And it doesn't even sting your bank account as you're doing all these things. And you get to drive your favorite car, and everyone just thinks you are wonderful. And you probably don't have all that. You're working way harder than you want to. And it's delivering too little. Maybe you're plagued with health problems. Or you don't like the way you look. Or you're on a spending freeze that you have been on for months. And you really want to shop at Publix where shopping is a pleasure, but you have to go to Aldi. And you want some clothes. I'm, I'm not talking to my wife right now. You want some clothes... And you better stay away from Target because you know it's dangerous to go in there because you're on a spending freeze. And, and well, you, now you're fighting about money. And you don't have a job that you want. You don't have the life that you want. And you are emotionally shaking your fist at God. And you're bitter at him because he has not given you the life that you wanted. And you're finding yourself spending less and less time with him. And when you do spend time with him, you're just going through the motions. In fact, you're looking for things wrong with the church today. And you're looking for things wrong with Christianity because you really just want to leave God behind. Because you're so mad at him. You won't say it out loud. But deep down you are. And you want a reason to run. All because God's not giving you the life that you want. And what he's doing right now, and he's, he's putting you in a position to trust him. And instead of trusting him, you're resenting him. And this is a real storm that you're in. The call is to come back. Whether he put that storm there, you put it there, or it's just what's happening, go running to him. You know why? Because he knows you better than you know yourself, and he loves you more than you love you. And he's infinitely good and infinitely wise. And if you knew everything that he knew, he, you would understand why he does and doesn't answer the prayers that you throw his way. But all in all, it doesn't matter because the goal of Christianity is not to manipulate God to give you what you want. The goal of Christianity is for you to trust him. And when you trust him, all bitterness becomes wiped away because you know he's infinitely good, infinitely wise, and infinitely loving. So there must be a good reason why your life is turning out the way that it is. And if you don't take that leap in trusting him, depression will lurk around every shadowy corner that you turn, ready to pounce on you. 
And it's going to be ready to grip you and rip you into the pit of the ship. That's what's happened to Jonah. What God wants you to do is to come out from the depressive bottom of the ship and get to the top of the deck where there are sailors there who need your help. Pagan sailors. Fourth point, calming the storms. The captain of this ship of pagans comes down to the bottom of the boat and says to Jonah, wake up and pray for us. Jonah has given like, Jonah has my dream job. Jonah is giving the worst sermons. He's not even praying. Pagans are begging him to pray for him. Pray for them. The church, like Jonah, is asleep. And the world is begging us to pray. Jonah's biggest problem is all that he can see is his own problems. So he is consumed by them. And I'm not saying his problems aren't real. And I'm not saying your problems aren't real. And I'm not saying you aren't justified in being at the bottom of that ship. Maybe you are. But Christianity is about a Savior who comes down into the bottom of the ship and changes you and says, let's go, we've got some work to do. Because Jonah has the stuff of heaven in him, and he can, he can solve the problem that's at the top of the ship. But he doesn't. He's sleeping everything away. Now, okay, the challenge for you. How often are you so consumed with the problems of your life that you are ignoring the problems of the world around you? I'm not talking about the greater world where, like, what are you going to do about that? I'm talking about people in your life who might need you. I think sometimes we get so focused in on the larger problems of the world that we can't do anything about, and we're kind of doing that to keep ourselves safe from the problems that are right in front of us. Not only ours, but the people around us. Because focusing on the world's problems means we don't really have to do a lot. But when you focus in on the problems of the people who who you sit next to at work, well, that's going to require a lot more from you. God has put you exactly where he has put you on purpose. And you know, this depressive part of you, you're looking around at all the other boats. And you're looking, you're thinking, that boat is prettier. That boat is more successful. I want to be on that boat. I want to be on that boat. And what you're not realizing is every single boat is in a storm. You know, you're looking around at everyone in this room or people in your life and you're thinking their life is so much better. I promise you, everybody is in a storm. And here's what happens. You know, every person, they have their limit of what they've been through, their difficulties. And when they hit this, it feels like hell for them. Everybody's on a boat that's in a storm. God has put you in the boat that you are in on purpose because he's infinitely wise and he's infinitely loving and he's infinitely good and he's got good work for you to do. And it's the perfect boat for you. But you don't believe it. And so you're depressed because of it. But if, if you will just say, God, okay, I trust you. What you're going to find is you're going to look up the opening in the boat and you're going to look at people who need you. And what you're going to do is you're going to walk up. Because you are now, the attention is off of you. You're driven by this desire for compassion for others. And you walk up the ship to be of some help in the people in your life. What the answer 
is, is you need a purpose that's greater than all of the things wrong in your life. And God keeps giving it to you. Wake up. Go up to the top. I'm, I'm in, a, in an evangelism cohort with a group of pastors. And in it, we're holding each other accountable to the life that God has, has called us to and, and to be accountable to lead the church as well that we're leading. And we're also asking this question, what does it look like for churches to engage with the world around us, and what would it look like for us to go public with our faith in a way that is helpful and good? And we were talking, and I said, you know what I think the core issue, issue is for all of us is that we need to have such a compassion that we're driven and compelled by a love that compels us and propels us to figure out what it looks like for us to go public with our faith in a way that is good and helpful. Compassion is the answer. And, and the storm that's in our lives is here because we lack compassion, and, the reason, and our lack of compassion is keeping us down at the bottom of the ship, and it's keeping us indifferent to the, to the sailors above. And if we would just open our eyes like the world is asking us to, and realize that we need to go and join top of the ship, the storm will go away because the storm is there to get us to do what God has called us to do. The people around us are starving for us to pray for them, but we remain silent. Step into the mission God's given you. In fact, if we don't live into our purpose, it makes us not much different than the pagan sailors, only potentially worse because we know better. So how do we change? You need a better shipmate. What you need is the Lord of the storm. Jesus is the truly compassionate Jonah, who didn't run away from God, but ran to you. And in running to you, he left his home with heaven, not running from his father, but being obedient to his father because his father said, go get them. And so he finds himself on the boat in a storm for you. And he's the Lord of the storm who calms it. Let me read this to you from Mark 4, six verses from 35 to 41. On that day when the evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and with him in the boat, just as he was and the other boats were there with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus is the truly obedient and compassionate Jonah who boarded the ship of your life, who came and followed you into the storm that you ran into. The sea of your life is in turmoil, and Christ boarded the boat. 
And he's in the bottom of the boat with you, and he's there, and he's saying, wake up. And he's shaking you, like, wake up. And you see, the boat, the bottom of the boat represents death. And he's gone into death to come and wake you up. And in his resurrection, he awoke in you. And then he said, you've got something to do. Because there's a reason why Jesus didn't just die and rise, and then once you had faith, pluck you up into the heavens. That's because he has work for you to do here. So what I want you to see right now, and this is, I'm going to end with this statement. He has come to give you a new identity and a new purpose. A child of God who works the faith that they believe in their heart out in the world. Or let me say it this way. You are both his mission and his missionary. Let me pray. Father, in your goodness and mercy, you sent your Son. In your infinite wisdom, you also sent a storm. But in that storm that you sent and hurled to us, you also sent your Son into it. Jesus, we thank you that you have come running for us and that you lifted us and turned us and set our feet on dry ground so we might follow after you and our Father. Spirit within us, we pray that we might learn what it means to go public with our faith in a way that is good and helpful for the world around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the best ways for us to nourish our faith, to give us a sense of strong compassion that compels us and drives us out to the world is through the Lord's Supper, through communion. So what we're going to do today Take this together, and what I want you to see is that as you make your way up to the bread and the wine, that each step you are taking is a step up out of the pit of the boat, and it's you walking up to the deck where your purpose is. And so this is about your faith. This is about you every step saying, I believe that this is true. I believe that Jesus is the one who's come into the death of the pit in the boat to rescue me up out of it. And it's not only this huge cosmic death that he's saving me from, but there are little deaths each day that when I die to myself and live for him, he's resurrecting me more into who I'm made to become. And so each step you make is you walking closer into the mission and purpose God has given you. It's you saying, all right, I don't know what this looks like, God, but I'm going to go, as you called Abraham, into the land that I have not yet seen. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going. Every step is a step of faith. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. 
the Last Supper with his friends. Father, we pray that your spirit would come dwell within us, among us, surround us, fly through us like a dove, touching all of us, and fixing our eyes up to you, Father, through the work of your Son. And God, I pray that any running that we have in our hearts where we've been running from you, I pray now that you would turn us back to you. That you would flip the lights on and we would see that we were in the darkness and now we're ready to come running into the light. With you and the mission you've given us. Be with us, God. In Jesus' name. When Jesus was with his friends, the night before he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he says to his disciples, his friends, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took the cup and he poured it out. And he said, this is the cup of the covenant. The promise that I said, God said, I'm coming for you. I will give my life for you, and I will rise for you.